Welcome to the 11th episode of Character Evolution Cast, everyone. Today's episode features Victoria Rogers, and we are discussing playing in an established universe. But first, announcements as usual. If you didn't listen to the last episode, Series 15.3, you may have missed the announcement that Amelia will be taking a little bit of a break to help situate herself better in life, but should be back sometime after the next series finishes up. For now, I'm thrilled to announce that we have a very special guest co-host with us today. She has actually been with us from day one. Or rather, her voice has been. Uh, if you pay close <laughs> enough attention, you might recognize her as the voice of our transitions between segments. Uh, Marie Claire, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Uh, yes, that's that is my voice. Uh, highly modulated and computerized. I, it was my what? it was my chance to be a sexy computer, <laughs> you know. I thought it was fantastic. I was I was super thrilled uh, to have you do that for us, and I'm really happy that it's uh, kind of just stuck with us since the beginning. <laughs> I love it. So, since some of our listeners may not know much about you, uh, you want to go ahead and tell them a bit about yourself and what projects you're involved in? Oh my goodness, I'm involved in so much, though. Uh, well, first, yeah. I guess I'll start with my <laughs> first kind of online foyer into podcasting, which is that I play on an actual play D&D podcast called Tavern Tales, mm -hmm. um, and we're going through the tales of the yawning portal as a as a group and where we play different characters with each adventure and we're kind of dealing with them as like little mini adventures and it's a whole lot of fun so check yeah. it out there um i'm also a giant star wars nerd so <laughs> i am also i also run and host a star wars podcast called what the force and we do meta-analysis deep dives into star wars as well as the fandom and i've had some pretty amazing interviews so far so check it out mm -hmm. if you're into star wars i also am on most times an asian asian drama podcast so this is a podcast called fall for it and uh, I am a co-host occasionally to talk about Asian dramas and why they're unique and interesting as we kind of explore that whole world. It's, mm -hmm. it's really awesome. I also have written <laughs> and directed a Star Wars fandom audio drama called Fangirls, which is now, by the time this comes out, its second episode has come out, so come and check it out. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It's available wherever podcasts are found. And last but not least, I also have a site called HollowNet Radio, which is a site to help promote a uh, positive or, you know, any kind of voice within um, Star Wars podcasting, just to kind of get some more voices out there. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love all of that so much. Like, <laughs> I'm insane. <laughs> like, I I have been a super fan of What the Force uh, since prior to day one, uh, I guess I could say. <laughs> yeah, well, you were like my beta listener, so you uh -huh. you got the opportunity the opportunity to listen to me from the beginning. 
Yeah, it was pretty fantastic. And uh, for those of us, uh, for those out there that are listening right now, uh, definitely check out uh, some of Marie Claire's stuff because you've just been knocking it out of the park, like left and right with everything that you've been doing online. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really blessed to have you as a, as a good friend. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited to have you as a guest host with us. Oh, thank you. And I had the opportunity to just to get back from Star Wars Celebration, where it was just mind-blowing and awesome. And I got to meet a whole bunch of people. So there should be some good stuff coming up in the future for What the Force, too. I am super looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, we are, are super excited to have you here with us. And hopefully, if this episode goes well, uh, perhaps we can have you back for some other episodes during Amelia's hiatus. Well, hopefully. we'll see if the timing <laughs> works and everything like that, but I'm happy to help. That's awesome. And to join in our co-hosting duties, we are still accepting questions for other Q&A episodes. If you want to ask Ryan or any of our guest hosts, about anything in particular, especially related <laughs> to character creation or role playing, send questions our way to questions.charactercreationcast.com. Once they have enough questions for a whole episode, they'll record and release it as soon as it makes sense to do so. So if you missed out last time, now is your chance to get that question to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I wanted to thank everyone who contributed to the Acaticon Kickstarter this year. Uh, the convention funded, which is really exciting. And it looks like uh, we hit enough stretch goals to have two side rooms for the whole three days, I believe, and possibly a little bit more. So I don't know how it'll get divvied up, but this means that we have good space for panels and other cool events like Geek Wars Live, which I look forward to every year. And I believe Character Creation Cast is also going to be doing a panel again this year, uh, if we can uh, swing that as well. Uh, so thank you again, everyone. Uh, this convention is just remarkable, and I can't wait. And am I correct in assuming that you're going to be there as well, Mary Claire? I am probably not going to be there, but oh, the no. uh, amazing uh, DM of Tavern Tales, Kyle Gould, my husband, will be there. So you'll be there in spirit through him. Yes. <laughs> We're switching <laughs> off our cons, like, you know. It makes sense. Except uh, the whole uh, Tavern Tales Junior slash Tavern Tales team uh, will be at Gen Con this year. Oh, that's remarkable. I can't wait to meet all of you. <laughs> awesome. Now, let's wrap up this cold open and get on with the show. Yeah, enjoy.
Welcome to Character Evolution Cast, a show where we discuss what to do with all those characters we just made. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan, and today my special guest co-host Marie Claire and I are joined by Victoria Rogers, DM of the Broadswords, a D&D actual play podcast, player in the Broads in Space Patreon only, Mass Effect actual play, and often an organizer for many of the D&D collaborations that seem to be happening more and more lately. Welcome to Character Evolution Cast, Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. This is the first time I get to be uh, doing this with y'all. Yeah, really excited to have you here. Before we get into everything, Victoria, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the things you're involved in? Uh, okay, well, I think Ryan hit a lot of it in that little <laughs> introduction, but hi, I'm Victoria, I'm Canadian, um, and yeah, so I I do have the, the all-women D&D podcast, The Broadswords, and I do organize some things for Wizards of the Coast. I did podcasts of Foes and podcasts of Waterdeep, which I also co-wrote with Joss Perot, which was really exciting. And soon, I don't know when this is coming out, but on May 17th to 19th, I will be at D&D Live, The Descent uh, in LA. Ooh. I am one of the co-organizers for the podcast studio. So I'm essentially herding 48 podcasters <laughs> to LA and and I'm going to be DMing. And that, Gosh, is, yeah. that is amazing. That's so cool. If, if I did not have a family... I would have been there as well. <laughs> Families are important. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sorry, kids. I have to go to LA for a weekend and spend all our money getting there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, very cool, Victoria. Now, one of our goals on Character Creation Cast, aside from making amazing people, is to introduce our audience to people who are doing awesome things in the RPG world. So we are going to start there. And a lot of people that know you uh, know that, like myself, uh, you've been playing RPGs for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Uh, In all of that time, do you happen to have a favorite character you have played that stands out to you above the rest? You know, that's difficult because I have a lot of characters that I have played and that I have enjoyed. Mm (sighs) And also, to be honest, I, I DM or GM a lot, so I I don't get to be a player as much as maybe I would enjoy. But, okay, I do have, this is a D&D character, and her name is Gash. Ooh. She is mm. a half-orc barbarian. Nice name for and that. And, yeah, I really, really like her a lot. She doesn't talk much. She doesn't care for talk. <laughs> um she's she's very action oriented and (laughs) i definitely can only play her with with certain players because other players would find her just really annoying because she she doesn't want to talk to npcs she doesn't want to like get information it's just no this is what we're here to do we're doing it let's go Mm -hmm. and she has no empathy (laughs) and she's just (laughs) <laughs> let's let's go bash some skulls. Let's get some things Next. done. Yeah. That's awesome. She's just fun to play because I get to be really aggressive and awful. Though, 
in the Mass Effect game, I also really, really uh, enjoy playing Nakmor Dak. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a very fun. She's a Krogan matriarch. And she also likes bashing people. But she's a little bit more nuanced than Gash. Uh, she crochets. Ooh. And she's 800 years old. <laughs> yes, crochet. <laughs> <laughs> And while she is incredibly violent, um, because that's what she does, um, she is also a bit of a mama bear, and she makes sure everyone, you know, that's on her team are well cared for. She likes cooking for people. Um, she's she's just fun because I like that dichotomy of like nice grandma who's just like <laughs> starts headbutting people. There's mm-hmm. not enough kick butt grandmas in storytelling, I think. Yes, we do need more. (laughs) And honestly, like I was afraid of my grandmother justifiably growing up. So (laughs) it's not like it's far from the truth. Mm -hmm. I think that's really funny. (laughs) What do you tend to enjoy most about the different settings that you've played in, you know, um, that, you know, pull on previously created worlds? I well, generally, it's the reason why I'm playing in these these worlds is because I love them so much. Mm. And, and I've all like, as a kid and even like as an adult, hi, this is why I'm <laughs> Um, you know, I would like, as a kid before I was like into role playing, um, I, I loved just running around in the backyard pretending I was one of the heroes or one of the heroes sidekicks so that I could be in the story. And now with these games, I get to be in the story. I get I get to affect things. And if I'm a player or I'm a GM, I love it when I'm not like in the main storyline of things that are, you know, in the actual films or mm-hmm. television shows or, or whatever the fandom is, but they're referenced mm-hmm. in game and and. There's just, I still, as a 37-year-old woman, I get that little thrill yeah. of, ooh, uh, when that happens. And I, that is why I love playing in these. these I get those little, like, spine tingles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting that you reference, like, just off camera or, like, off to the side. Like, almost like you're the Easter egg in the main story mm-hmm. in some ways. That's kind of cool. I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So with that in mind, what is your favorite setting that you've played in so far, either or both as GM or as a player? Um, It's actually it's going to be uh, Star Wars. Just and I think it's because I've played it using Fantasy Flight Games uh, system. Mm -hmm. And that that narrative dice system is chef's kiss. (laughs) I love that system so much. I don't get to play enough of it, mm-hmm. um, but I love it. I'm in a once a month game now, and so that that that's good. Um, but I, I, it's one of those games I wish I could play like all the time. Right. I wish I had time to play it all the time. But there are so many other games that I want to play. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that that game that that system is excellent, and and playing in the Star Wars universe is. We were talking a little before we started recording that that Star Wars has a lot of camp factor. Um, But when you're playing in that kind of game where you get to be campy and you get to have those one-liners and you get to do ridiculous 
ridiculous things mm-hmm. that just simply <laughs> really are not going to pan out in other types of games. Um, that's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I And it's really fun to do silly things and like have speeder chases and jump around from, you know, speeder to speeder because you can. And I, I really like that cinematic feel of playing in a Star Wars universe. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that it's it's like you're telling some sort of crazy mythology almost mm-hmm. because it's it feels that that big, but it doesn't seem um, out of the bounds of reality within its own universe's rules, right. which is cool. Yeah. I also really like playing in the Star Trek universe. That's a that's a fun game. I am trying to wrap my I have not been able to read that book yet uh, for the, the Star Trek uh, Adventures, I think it's called. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that uses the life path, path system, right? Uh, for character creation, where you go through like a series yes, of tables yes, and stuff like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. Figure out how your character grew up into their current role. Yeah, and what's great about it too is you don't you don't gain experience, mm-hmm. and you don't like level up. Yeah. Um, it just you're already awesome. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> is essentially how it is. Is you're already awesome. You're in Starfleet. Yeah. And in order to be in Star- Starfleet, you have to be awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's there's none of that. And that isn't a fun mechanic in a game, too, because now instead of like trying to like level up, now it's truly making you um, work as a group mm-hmm. because there's nothing that benefits really the individual except story wise. That's cool. Um, uh the narration uh so that's really fun and playing and just like spouting off pseudoscientific gobbledygook <laughs> is really fun um mm-hmm. it, yeah and the star trek universe again it's got its own camp mm-hmm. and it's got its own universal rules of things that you can and cannot do and figuring that out and yeah there's always a twist in a, in a star trek adventure mm-hmm. so it's fun as the player to figure out what that <laughs> twist is awesome now that we know a little bit more about you, we are going to get into the core into the core of the episode. As usual, our goal here is to help people be better players, and we try to gear these discussions towards how players, not just GMs, can improve their experiences at the table. In this episode, we will be covering our thoughts on how to be better players when diving into an established setting. Yeah, established settings can be really great to dive into for a number of reasons, especially if you are a fan of the original source of the setting. Our goal here is to discuss what an established setting is and give some tips on how we can better immerse ourselves within those settings. First, let's define established settings. Um, What do we mean by an established setting and what sort of examples are there that we are familiar with? So we hinted at uh, a few of them earlier, uh, mm-hmm. Star Wars, uh, Star Trek, a um, uh, little bit of Mass Effect Yeah, there. There's Dragon Age, mm-hmm. um, the the Fantasy Age system, D&D, like Faerun, like that's got 40 years of established <laughs> mm-hmm. setting behind it. Yeah. It's really funny because as uh, role-playing games started, they almost all needed to, like the 
the creation of role-playing games. They all needed to establish their own settings because people didn't know what this weird thing was. So D&D mm-hmm. kind of needed to make certain rules of the world that it was building itself into. Uh, CNS, Chivalry and Sorcery needed to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to, you know, role-playing games, like how they started out with almost... Um, change on twist on um you know war gaming on tables so it, i would say that it's been there from the beginning mm-hmm. and it became a newer thing when people started to be like well what if i imagine my own setting yeah. you know yeah the, it, it feels weird that the homebrew like worlds and and stories and all of that sort of stuff is the the later stuff that came. Yeah. It, it's interesting that from the beginning of D&D you had these like this is where you're going to be playing. Now you get to make stories in this setting. And well it it was almost like scaffolding yeah. for story creation because they like people didn't know what to do with this weird animal that is role playing like shared storytelling it was like such a weird concept in the 70s when it was created mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i would say that you know we we it was like we were lacking that part of our brain because we hadn't done shared storytelling as much and now that we do it's like you know you've unleashed the beast yeah. in yeah. some ways yeah and it's, that shared storytelling is something that we would have done as kids you know playing house or cops yes. and robbers or whatever you know but as adults and this game did yeah. originally like D um came out of like you said wargaming um and mm-hmm. so even in the beginning it was still wargaming e. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yes. why you still, when you look at your D&D character sheet, it's how do I kill things? Yeah. And the and the rules of the game, like, leaned into the setting. Yes. Right? Because of how you could do things and what you could do. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things, like, my dad, who was around at that time, told me about gaming in that world. He he really got bothered when people started to homebrew <laughs> away from established setting of medieval fantasy. Mm. Like when they started to bring in robots and, you know, weird stuff like that. He was like, ah, this isn't my fantasy, <laughs> you know, my, this is my this isn't my fantasy world that I was picturing I would always live in. You know, it, the expectations have to be, I think, very clearly set for players and GMs. Like, what are you trying to achieve? And I think that by using an established setting, it helps them say, oh, we're we're defined in this little in this little pen mm. or whatever. Some people are cool with like suddenly suddenly there's a cyborg in your fantasy dungeon, but some people aren't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And basically everything that we have in common between all the established settings is that it is a setting that is defined very mostly discreetly uh, where you have this is a place. These might be some people. uh, This is what you can what type of stories you can tell here Mm -hmm. sort of thing instead of you having to make it all up yourself. And if everyone knows that setting. Like it, like we were talking about Star Wars. So if, if most people have played, have watched Star Wars, I mean, there are people who haven't, but uh, a lot of people, if you're going to be playing a Star Wars game, you've at least watched one movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, so you know what to expect. 
you know the vibe mm-hmm. of the game, you know the tone of the game, you know what you can and cannot do, what's viable. Yep. Everyone is going into it with the same set of like expectations of what this universe is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it almost leans into uh, like unspoken rules or or storytelling shorthand too right mm-hmm. like that it it gives people at least um you know a little bit of a leg up on hey you know we're going to get to this sort of story faster this kind of genre of story mm-hmm. epic or otherwise uh by by leaning into certain tropes or mm-hmm. certain things that the established setting already has within it What's mm-hmm. what's interesting too is uh, it kind of puts everybody on the same field in terms of how to picture things too. Like oh, if, yes. you're, if you're playing in Star Wars and you say the ship that you're about to board looks like the Millennium Falcon, that's all you need to say, mm-hmm. and everybody at the table will know exactly what that ship looks like. Yeah, you say you're in a cantina, everyone knows. Uh huh what a cantina looks like exactly and then and then we play in a fantasy star wars version like we did that one time victoria for ipm mm-hmm. <laughs> and and everything is described in fantasy and it actually it really messed me up a little bit because i had to be like i'm gonna turn off that side that star wars side of my brain and try to describe things like fantasy within star mm-hmm. wars didn't somebody yeah. have like a lava lightsaber i did yeah yeah and, and yeah, for listeners was this was for ipm last year 2018 yeah. um we were on the planet of week which you can look on the wikipedia the the planet of week exists but it's like fantasy medieval place yeah um but star wars and like and, lightsabers are yeah. called dawn blades and mm-hmm. yeah. you know like ships are called dragons like you have to kind of like wrap your head around the the lens through which you have mm-hmm. to view the world and mm-hmm. it took me a little bit because i'm so immersed in star wars like all the time right and yeah yeah trying to and and how we ended up calling like droids false gods yeah, so, yeah. that was <laughs> that was <laughs> that was wicked yeah yeah like, it, it was yeah i had the the my I made my Dawn Blade out of lava and I used the force to like keep it can contained. Awesome. I know that was that was a cool a cool Dawn Blade. Mm-hmm. That was that was <laughs> wicked and like the melty center of the that you had like the little like inside. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Yay, Star Wars. Yay, Star Wars. <laughs> Obviously, the right show for me to join, Ryan. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and for listeners, we are all wearing Star Wars shirts right now. Oh, yeah. Like accidentally. <laughs> yeah, this was not planned. This is just what we showed up with. I, I have a Star Wars coffee mug because mm-hmm. we're recording this in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, it sounds like we uh, started getting into the next question a little bit of what mm-hmm. sort of things we can expect from playing in or even running an established setting. Um, we touched on it a bit. I know uh, one of the big things for certain things like uh, playing in Faerun, you're going to have a lot of established maps yeah. and cities. Um, you're going to have a lot of established locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other sorts of things can we expect from playing in or running an established setting well you you will also have like 
like I, I touched on before is, um, you know, were the Easter eggs or there, you know, uh, yeah. things like if you're playing Star Trek, you, you could have like Admiral Cap. Admiral Captain Picard, Admiral Picard, or something like that, like in the periphery, or like come in as an NPC. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So you have these established and iconic characters that you can become involved with, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's just fun. It's super fun. Q shows I up once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like uh, leading on Faerun, like you have. Um, if you want to run through one of the, because it's an established setting, one of the pre-built, um, you know, full adventures. So like, oh, Horde of the Dragon Queen or, you know, any of those things to get people into the setting. It's a fun way to get people into the setting because it's all laid out and you don't necessarily need to use one of the source books to get say maybe new people that are new to the setting because dnd is with Faerun is its own setting and it like we've introduced a few people to dnd who were never familiar with the world of Faerun or this mm-hmm. dnd rule set before and it's a good way to like get them into it and then as they you know started to get themselves into it a little bit more they did more and more research on their own as to hey who's in the setting what are the things that they would know as just people living in the world Mm -hmm. Um, but it can be kind of overwhelming if you're like oh hey we're playing in this world and you feel a little lost if everybody around the table knows almost like the world history and you don't Mm -hmm. yeah i can see that and I think um, what other games like Star Wars games, Star Trek game, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, um, and if if one day that She-Ra game is oh ever my made, oh man, oh that would gosh. be so good. <gasps> please, please, I need She-Ra. There's a My Little <laughs> Pony <laughs> RPG mm-hmm. that just came out. Um, so mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and then any kind of like magical girl game, like anything that isn't established. Most people are familiar with those as opposed to to a Faerun setting, mm-hmm. right? Because Faerun, you have to have played that game yeah. or, or their video games in order to understand what it is. Yeah. Whereas if you're taking something from pop culture, yes. that's, that's, an, that's a shared cultural thing that we already have going into mm-hmm. the table. Um, so and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking that a, a game that is already set in a very established pop culture um, setting would probably be an, a better way to bring new people into tabletop mm-hmm. RPGs. Yeah. Because they don't have to learn all of this extra stuff. Yeah. They, are, they just have to learn the rules. And why Wizards of the Coast hasn't done a TV series or uh, a serious D&D movie? They've tried. Help. They've tried. There are D and D movies out there. Yeah. I, I've, uh, okay. Well, I, I know of I, one. I don't really enjoy that was them. Horrible. I think Th- they're mostly horrible. I, yeah. I think that they haven't yeah. had the right storytellers yet. Yeah. So I think it's actually a, you know, like similar to uh, trying to adapt a video game to movies. Yeah. Um. That's that's a huge. That's a huge challenge trying to adapt a video mm-hmm. game setting to to a movie and make it feel the same. Um, it's been mostly unsuccessful. There's like mm-hmm. maybe one or two examples of it being successful. I think that they just haven't figured out the right 
uh, group. Like I would say the cartoon version of Dragonlance is actually probably the most successful transition of like storytelling in the world, but it was mm-hmm. even based on a book series. And yeah. uh, D&D hasn't uh, gone out and reestablished their book world in mm-hmm. fifth ed yet with yeah. all yeah. of the changes. So maybe we'll see that in the future. I don't know. Right. Oh, well, you know, what? We, we will be seeing something with the whole critical role. Yeah. Kickstarter. Oh, the um, Kickstarter. Yeah. And that might actually depending on how that pans out, it might be the impetus mm-hmm. to yeah. get something. Cause if it, I mean, look at like $11 million. Yeah. I know. People it, want it. They can do yeah, a lot people, with that. People are hungry for this. So, you know, depending on how this pans out, how it's, you know, done, yeah. hopefully fingers crossed goes well. Um, this might, you know, help kickstart an, mm-hmm. like a whole slew of, of great, content oh yeah and with the success of like fantasy like uh game of thrones Mm -hmm. uh is huge just absolutely mind-bogglingly huge as a tv series um and they're coming out with some more book series to uh live action uh like the wheel of time they're starting to do for amazon Mm -hmm. Um, oh really uh, oh yeah, so I, I'm really interested in that, and I hope they fix a lot of the stuff that's bad. About yeah, it. I I hope the women don't like purse their lips and smooth their skirts every and tug their second. hair every like five seconds. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and just like yell and shriek at people in general. But if you're yelling, you're a strong person. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yes, that's exactly how that goes. <laughs> and that the main character isn't like whining mm-hmm. for five seasons. Yeah, I I built out a Avatar The Last Airbender uh, game where it took place just before the Hundred Years War. So just before the Fire Nation attacked the rest of the world, Um, knowing what I knew from like the wikis and everything like that. um, And I set it in that world using Savage Worlds as the base rule set because you can kind of adapt that to the rules. Mm -hmm. But because the players knew Avatar, the last airbenders kind of setting so well, it was really easy to do. Like they knew exactly what I was talking about when I Mm -hmm. said uh, a moose lion, you know, like, (laughs) because it wasn't like it was a brand new thing or a new concept for Mm -hmm. them, even though some of the, some of the things about Avatar, the last airbender are kind of weird. Yeah, because I, I haven't seen uh, a, probably a second of Avatar Last Airbender, except for, um, unfortunately, the live-action movie. Oh, yeah, no. Um, which I, I understand is not the greatest of uh, depictions of that universe. Um, but, yeah, if, if I were to dive into a game like that without the knowledge, it would probably be pretty hard for me to pick up on some of the things. Yeah, me, um, me as well, because mm-hmm. uh, I've I've never watched it. Yeah, I, I would have no idea. Well, and and that's interesting because I am playing a Star Trek game right now. My husband's uh, GMing, and we have one of our players, Bianca, who is also in the Broadsword. She is playing. She's never really watched Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So she's playing our engineer, and <laughs> she doesn't like. She doesn't know anything really yeah. other than the fact that they're in space yeah 
Um, so, you know, she's learning a lot and uh, one of our players really likes to explain things. So he, he goes off and explains mm-hmm. the entire thing to her. Um, and, and that's great, but it, it's, it's interesting to see how she uses, cause she doesn't have that shared mm-hmm. knowledge with us. She just has the rules. Yeah. So this is her just doing whatever she mm-hmm. thinks an engineer should be doing. Yep. And it, it's. Sometimes it's a little surprising because you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Can I just say? It's interesting. B- Bianca as a Starfleet engineer sounds absolutely delightful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's a very kind engineer. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Most engineers end up becoming like uh, gruff and grizzled, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not bitter. <hers>. Yep. <laughs> very friendly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, and, and we hinted on it a little bit, too, the the established storylines that we can play in. Uh, yeah. Like you were talking about with your Avatar uh, scenario, it takes place after this and plays through this portion of the Avatar story, effectively, in the background, I assume. Well, it was, like, uh, before kind of the main events, so, like, okay. 100 years before. Yeah. And so why I liked that was because like I could kind of make up some things Mm -hmm. to do with oh hey I know this city exists but we don't have any information about this city so I'm going to create a city that is like this Mm -hmm. and base it in kind of the rules of the world but I've Mm -hmm. I've seen many people play um you know alongside current storytelling like to Victoria's point and then you almost become like an off the screen or just slightly to the left character in the main storyline. And that's kind of fun Mm -hmm. too. That is so much Mm -hmm. fun. I love those. Um, I'm a player in a Star Wars game that is set in the Old Republic. And it is set right, I think it's either right before or right after uh, Revan goes off to fight the Mandalorians. So it's it's set before the events of KOTOR. Okay. And that is a lot of fun because we know, as, as players, we know that this is going to happen, yeah. but we don't know when yet. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's exciting to play in this setting that something like, like Knights of the Old Republic, there's, it's not officially canon, yeah. um, but... Um, so we can kind of do what we want, but we, there's enough there that we know what it is, Mm -hmm. but there's enough there for our GM to, like you said, Marie, uh, to just pull out whatever they want. Yeah. All right. How does playing in an established setting change the way we play compared to our homebrew settings, um, or something more collaboratively built with the group? I don't have too much established setting experience under my belt personally um i i played in Faerun once with victoria um <laughs> when we played for the international podcast month episode uh but even then it was like uh such a contained like one shot area that mm-hmm. all i needed to kind of know was where in the world were we and yeah and and it was very like you're in like Ireland. Yeah, basically. You're in fantasy Ireland. Yeah, and it, I I didn't need to know much about the rest of the world for any of it to really matter. Mm-hmm. Um which was nice. Um I played like 
maybe one session of the Wheel of Time uh, D20 D and D three point rules, and that was uh, it was interesting because it it follows the storyline up until the events of the fifth book or something like that. Okay, and so you start off early on, but you're like side characters in the world mm-hmm. while these yeah. background events are going on. So it was interesting because I got to play some cool people, but it was like we didn't get to dive into it too much because it was only one session, you know? So I think I'm going to let you guys uh, talk about this a little bit more because I don't know. You played in another game with me set in Faerun. Oh, did I? Set in Waterdeep. Oh. You built a ship at a catacomb. Oh, that yeah, that was in Waterdeep. That was in Waterdeep. Okay. Very established city. There we go. Two 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 times. I, I'm <laughs> two an times. expert at Faerun. <laughs> That's two areas of the world, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a, a challenge is sometimes I find sometimes people are, because everything is established, they, they become a little too in the box. Mm. Um, they, they don't. That sometimes some players, or even in times and situations, like if you're given a situation, um, some sometimes people have a hard time coming at it from a different perspective, mm-hmm. um, and they they just go along with that trope or that you know that stylistic thing that they feel is expected. Yeah, yeah, and that can be sometimes a little boring. But sometimes it can be really fun, too. Mm-hmm. It, it just it really depends on the situation. But I think that can be a challenge sometimes. I uh, I ran a game for my cousins uh, who had read, I would say, all of the Forgotten Realms books. All of them had read all of them. And they had been playing D&D like, through multiple versions of the game. And I ran them through their first D&D 5th ed uh, game. And... I had established certain things in my mind, and I, I have to admit, I haven't read all of the the Forgotten Realms books, so I don't know everything. <laughs> but things have changed since 5th Ed, and so I know kind of the 5th Ed world. And what I found personally challenging with that, running them through that game, is they had very much defined rules in their head as far as how maybe even certain factions should behave. So like they themselves were putting limits on their own characters based on how they had either seen characters played in previous games or in things they had read within the Forgotten Realms novelizations previously. And um, I like to take assumptions and like flip them on their heads Mm -hmm. and like, like I turned, um, as an example, <laughs> I had turned uh, the first level of Undermountain into uh, an amusement park, theme park. Nice. <laughs> because like, I'm like, it's like thousands of years later. Like, why wouldn't it just be like a place people can visit and they go through and dispel like all the dangerous spells? Mm-hmm. Like, and people just go there for tours. Like, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> and it, the... They like really, it really messed with them. They're like, we're expecting de- death and a 10 foot pole. And they like, it really messed with them. So <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I think that like, you know, maybe 
setting clear expectations will help even mm-hmm. if you're going to change it, right? Like it just, mm-hmm. if people are too established, they almost become rule keepers of the setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we touched on it before. If someone's coming in and they're not familiar with that established setting, they, they don't have that shared, that communal understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of of what is. And, and that can be difficult for someone coming into something they're not familiar with. Yeah, it's really interesting. It sounds like there's like three different stages of like knowledge of the setting that will dramatically shift the way you play in those settings. Either you have no knowledge and you have to kind of absorb as you go, maybe research on the side. Um, mm-hmm. You have complete knowledge where you are completely kind of limiting yourself to how you expect everything to work in that universe. And then you've got the like kind of in-between knowledge where you don't know everything, but you know enough to get the proper feel Mm -hmm. of the setting. It's really interesting that the level of knowledge kind of matters a lot for a player's experience. Yeah, I feel like I should always just be middle of the road now. Mm-hmm. That that to me seems like the most fun. Mm-hmm. Where, where you just, you can go in there, you know enough that it's shared and you're, you know, mm-hmm. you expect things. Um, but you're not afraid to change things. Mm-hmm. You can just go in there and woo! Yeah. Yeah. And I think that changing things or allowing changeability, it, it creates... Um, you know, you don't know how the story is going to end. So it's kind of more intriguing mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, re- I really like the the thought of uh, most people being on the same page, even if there's uh, one or two people that are like, I know everything about this world. Mm-hmm. As long as they can bring themselves down to allow for the, the ability for the setting to change uh, yeah. through, through play, mm-hmm. um, I think that would greatly enhance the experience for everybody around the table instead of saying, well, warp drives don't work that way. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like how uh, Star Trek Discovery is kind of changing the setting as it goes as a story Mm -hmm. for Star Trek, right? Like we have this this new show where people are actually... (laughs) very vocal about whether they like it or not Uh, but it's even changing Mm -hmm. like how the established setting works with the storytelling and i really like that like i don't know so do i it's it's cool (laughs) i haven't finished it i i i'm only on episode 10 but i love it but also okay so the 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 technology in the future is dependent on what we have now, right? So like if some people are very vocal, they're like, that's not what technology is like then. Well, <laughs> you know what? The original was created in the sixties. Uh-huh. And like they had analog. Like not everything is going to be based on analog buttons mm-hmm. and clocks. So you know what? We this is gonna be based on what technology we have now. Yeah. I mean, we have three D printing. Yeah. Like that, that it's going to be very different in comparison. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm I am pro discovery. Oh yeah, and I yeah. I like the idea of a spore drive. It's like yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. Like we don't know everything about you know what this universe is made of. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it is too. Gosh, I need to watch that show. 
It's actually good. It's good. Yeah. It's uh, very cinematic. Uh-huh. It's like watching a little movie every episode. Oh, nice. Yeah, like um, they learned it, a lot from J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. Like they took kind of that feel of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. cinematic and and like um, visual storytelling, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. Every every episode is exciting. Yeah, and they have character. They have character. <laughs> they have yeah. character interactions, <laughs> and and people like suffer consequences. Mm. It's fascinating to see Star Trek, yeah, and people suffer consequences. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and like actually see people like suffer from oh, yeah what they're going like PTSD like mm-hmm. like it because it, it, they're there's horrible things happening and then seeing yeah so good that's amazing it's really interesting because uh star trek discovery sounds exactly like we're talking about you're taking Mm -hmm. an established setting you're taking an established universe you've got like analog switches and knobs from the original series which takes place chronologically after discovery so Mm -hmm. you are saying we're here in the timeline but Technology wouldn't be analog buttons and all of this stuff. We wouldn't be, you know, doing exactly what we did in the original series. We would Mm -hmm. be doing things differently. Let's imagine it for a more modern audience. Yeah, we're not going to get into fist fights and rip our shirts all the time. (laughs) Not all the time. The double-fisted attack to the back doesn't automatically knock somebody out. <laughs> <laughs> and women aren't there to be seduced every two seconds uh-huh. either. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that we can we can have a pop culture example of going with the flow of change mm-hmm. and getting some really cool stories out of it. Yeah. So what can we do to prepare to play in a setting that has already been established? So maybe if we're not as familiar, like we haven't maybe lived it as a Z-geist or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess if it's based on a film, watch the film. And the- I mean, that's the easy one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watch it. Watch a couple episodes of Star Trek yep. or or play some Mass Effect or some Dragon Age mm-hmm. or or what, what have you. You know, go in there and I do read it. As a GM... I um I do a mini rundown for everybody. So even if they ha- are familiar with the world, I try to do just like a like a like a half a page of bullet points of where we are, what we are. Because even with Star Wars, um, anywhere on the timeline means different things. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're playing in the old Republic. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jedi are jedi are around force sensitives are around if you're playing in you know during the time of the empire jedi are hunted jedi are hidden you know and that Mm -hmm. very much changes the setting even anywhere along the timeline yeah yeah um well you know looking at bianca bianca doesn't so so i i already said with star trek bianca's never watched it so she she started to watch some discovery with me which i guess maybe (laughs) not the right star trek she should Mm -hmm. be watching because it's not what star trek adventures is based on but it's at least star trek um but again she's playing with us in our patreon mass effect game she's never played mass effect 
So what she did is she went and watched like all the cutscenes. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, on <nice>. YouTube. <laughs> to just get a vibe of what what that universe is like. That's that's probably one of the faster ways to experience a video game. Uh, especially a video game as expansive as Mass Effect or Dragon Age is mm -hmm. when they have those cinematic moments that really pushes the story along. And there's a lot of side content that you could easily get lost into when you're playing the game. Um, yeah. I, I think personally, I have over 500 hours in Mass Effect 1 alone. Yeah. And that's that's ridiculous to, to ask somebody, Oops. hey, we're going to play in this setting. <laughs> Go play 500 hours of this game to get an idea of what this game is all about, and then you'll have more fun. But yeah. if you just go to the YouTube and look at the, the videos of the cinematics that tell the storyline, give you a feel of the universe, that, that sounds like a really good way to, to dive in without really fully diving into it. Mm -hmm. And more entertaining than going to wikis, probably. Yeah, more entertaining than just reading it, you know, and, and she could like have it playing on in the background as she did other things mm -hmm. um, and still get the gist of, of oh, yep. OK, so this is what it means to be playing a Corian engineer. Yeah. All right. I get yeah, it. Yeah. And plus, you're getting the visuals, too. Mm -hmm. You're getting like the aesthetic of the setting, which is uh, somewhat important when you come to the table and you're trying to picture what people are talking about. Yes. So you know what a Corian looks like, mm -hmm. um, or a Batarian, or in a recent game, you know, Tracy started discussing the eyes of a Batarian and how, you know, they, they have this whole culture behind their eyes. Mm. Um, but she, if you didn't know that Batarians have many eyes, um, that wouldn't mean anything to you? Yeah. It, or it wouldn't give as much meaning. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're talking about this, but I've always pictured you with just two eyes. Yeah. Not six. Not six. Yeah. Th yeah. That's very interesting. I know there's, uh, there's podcasts that play uh, a lot of these games too. A lot of these settings. Uh, those would be good to listen to for how the game mm -hmm. you're going to play actually plays. Yeah, because again, like that contributes to the setting itself is like the rule set that's being used and how um, it interacts with the world. Because, you know, West End Games rule set for Star Wars is very different than D20, which is also very different from Fantasy Flight Games, um, like the modern version of Star Wars, mm -hmm. where it's more um, descriptive uh, shared story built ver versus... I roll, I succeed, I force power you. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's, it creates a different world when, um, in some ways, the rules themselves lean into the force, and the force being almost like fate in a, in some ways, um, mm -hmm. for the fantasy flight game version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So, what are some of the benefits then of playing in an established setting? I know we talked a little bit about this before, and we talked some about, about some of the challenges. Uh, but what are some of the really good things that we get out of playing there? I really think it's down to having a storytelling shorthand that you can lean on. Mm -hmm. You you don't need to maybe spend as much time 
is seeking to have the GM describe every aspect of it. It um, can save you a lot of time with, hey, yeah, this ship looks like the Millennium Falcon, but dirtier, if that's Mm -hmm. even possible. (laughs) Um, You know, or, you know, this is the Empire. It looks like an Imperial base. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can use it as Mm -hmm. like a shorthand for certain things where it won't be as easy as if people have established things in their minds and then you're trying to change it on them or try to give them a twist on what they already know you need to work harder probably as a gm or as a shared storytelling experience to work on that so if a player is trying to change what is expected from the established setting you know everyone at the table will need to plug into that and understand what is happening i think that that's like the only the only kind of caveat i would say Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if someone were to say a TIE fighter comes screeching in, everyone imagines that sight and sound. Yes, mm-hmm. they can hear it. It's, <laughs> it's in everyone's head. You don't need to say anything else. You don't need even to make a sound effect because everyone Whoa. got that. Um, yeah, so th- and it's just that shared, like you said, that shorthand. Um, and we, we've touched on it before is everyone knows the genre. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the tone and everyone can just jump right into it. And it, it does save time mm-hmm. because everyone says, yeah, we know how this works. Yeah. And you can just go with the flow. Um, less exposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. I also really like the um, the Easter eggs that you can play mm-hmm. around with like so many different Easter eggs, whether you are, you know, on the very fringes of the established story and you get little hints here and there, or if you're on the front line, so to speak of the established story and you are working hand in hand with Luke Skywalker, princess Leia, Han Solo, that type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. If you have that, those two ends or a blend of that, then you've got these like cool little triggers in your brain that say, Ooh, this is cool. We're, we're playing with these really famous, awesome people. And it it adds a little bit of, uh, like gravitas to the story that you don't get with, uh, with like, uh, a collaboratively built world or, uh, a homebrew world or something like that. Unless the GM like specifically says like and and establishes through the homebrew that your characters are special or that they have the right to, you know, in some ways be, you know, on the epic storytelling that the main storyline would establish. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's the only way. But if you're just like Joe Schmoes, like you can touch greatness without actually being great in established Mm -hmm. settings. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think, too, uh, and I this is from my own experience. I, I don't know if everyone shares this experience, but but whenever I've played in like a pop culture established setting like this, so outside of favorite, mm-hmm. um, there's always a bit of excitement from everyone at that table. Mm. It, it, it's a type of excitement that I only feel when I play a Star Trek or a Star Wars mm-hmm. or, or something else in these kinds of settings that I don't feel at a table when I play D&D. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it just there's that shared joy mm-hmm. that we all get to tell a tale in in a world we love, and and that that's a special feeling, mm-hmm. and that just makes the game really fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like a sort of anticipation, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this this story is going to be in something that I love. Let's mm-hmm. let's get it. Let's do it. Let's be awesome in this world. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting because you you get kind of the same feeling, but I can imagine it's totally different when you build the world as a party before you play. Like in certain Power yes. by the Apocalypse games where the mm-hmm. setting is not established at all. And the part of the game is we're going to create the world together. We're going to create some you know s- stuff that you will care about and then create your characters around all of that, that gives mm-hmm. you a, a level of excitement that I haven't seen matched before. Yeah. But it's it's probably at about the same level of intensity as that anticipation playing into an established setting, but like completely different. Yeah. Yes. I cheat yeah, I cheat uh, a lot and steal stuff from characters' backgrounds, even in established settings, uh, and then build that into the story and mm-hmm. change it. I don't it. think that's cheating. That's I, just drawing everyone into the story. I know, mm-hmm. but like some some players hate it. Like they hate giving me um background like their characters backstory because they knew no everything is free reign to like drag up <laughs> from the death depths and then make them suffer mm-hmm. um oh they don't want to play with me <laughs> no i know and i'm i'm like not as bad as you victoria like you 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 really make them suffer i just like i pull on their like emotional heartstrings and they know it's coming oh, I and uh I, I don't make them suffer oh sure <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the enemy. I am another player. It's a good type of suffering, I would say, because <laughs> uh, we, we play in a, we play in a monthly game together, uh, Victoria, and yes. um, I had established a little bit of background to my character, and then when we played out that background, uh, you made me cry. Yeah, I I am not the one who caused that <laughs> suffering. You made me suffer. So, you know, it, it's a two-way street. I apologize, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it was so sad. It was so good, though. It was. It was beautiful. But, yeah, it, it, that's an example of taking the, the character backgrounds, pulling them into the game. That gives you that sort of uh, that that collaborative world-building anticipation and uh, glee mm-hmm. when it comes out in yeah. play. Yeah, I I was running a modern age game, um, and modern age is it, it's based on the age system, um, but um, <laughs> it it's you can you you it's just a system, mm-hmm. and you can use it. You create that world. It's you you create that world however you want, and so we created our own Gotham that we called Gothopolis. Oh, nice. And we created whole boroughs for for it. And so when, you know, and different aspects of each borough. And so, and everyone just is delighted when something that they suggested shows yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you bring that in and, yeah, everyone's delighted. And there's lots of giggling mm-hmm. and laughing about the silly things that people have come up with that you drag in and or they drag in. Yeah. And, yeah. 
I think that that's a really good way of like blending the fun you get out of established settings into mm-hmm. homebrews, like letting them create the world and then dragging, not dragging, but like planting those things throughout the world will make it feel more interconnected and, and probably more special to the, mm-hmm. to the players themselves. Well, I mean, even mm-hmm. uh, the IPM game that you two had played together, it was in a completely established setting and, but it was on this world that was like very loosely defined. Yeah. Yeah. And that gives you the, the, the agency to really explore what this world is like and to make your own details about how the world functions. And that's really cool that you can blend this collaborative world building in to an already established setting, especially in games like Star Wars, where there's millions of planets that that you Mm -hmm. can play on and tons and tons of stuff that's like fully canon and everything. Yep. But like loosely defined, right? Yeah. And I and I think that that's like one of the cool benefits of uh Star Wars in general is like they haven't defined they can't possibly define all of the all of the worlds in this galaxy mm-hmm. and all of the times. So there's if you did want to use the established setting but you want to have a unique world. Mm-hmm you know, at least where people start or they visit, you can create your own yeah. world, mm-hmm. but within the rule set. Yeah. And that's that's the same with Star Trek or, or any yeah. any setting that has planets yeah. that you yeah. can travel. Like Star <laughs> Trek, you got Mass Effect. Um, I know in, in our Mass Effect game, we've gotten to, to play on like very established worlds, but we've also gotten to play on worlds that exist, but in the games, they were just like a planet that you scanned for like minerals. Yeah. Um, you didn't actually land on it. Um, but we get to land on it and see what's there. Um, so yeah, there's there's so much room to explore, um, to make things up, and and just do whatever you want. But you still have that shared universal view mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of, of what there is that ties it together. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting the the Star Wars universe. You're you're generally thinking. We're going to play spacefaring people, probably, uh, whether we're playing with the Empire or if we're playing with the, uh, the Rebels or if we're playing uh, back in the Old Republic. We're probably going to be planet hopping for the most part, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But playing as local citizens of one of these planets and then that War of the Stars nonsense starts coming to your planet that's that's kind of a cool thing to that is have that like collaborative world building portion saying this is the cool stuff that our world has these are some cool hooks that our world has and now we're three sessions in and is that a star destroyer that's not good (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it really interesting uh how you can definitely blend those two even if you're playing in a fully established setting. So is there anything else we wanted to add uh, that we didn't cover? I do have uh, one thing I did want to mention, which is that um, RPGs are a really great tool for 
the storytellers actually of the established setting to bring in new content creators into their setting because it's a, a way of establishing kind of a I don't know, the unspoken rules, but actually spoken and written down of their world. And um, Pablo Hidalgo of like Star Wars, the uh, story group actually references the West End Games version of Star Wars a lot, especially to do with the work that was done from a, you know, establishing the ships and and certain aspects of it. I know that they reference... um, I'm reading Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, and she she basically lists out the Jedi character classes mm-hmm. in the book in like just a you know in a prose way, like talking about mystics and talking about you know these uh, consulars that go to planets and use their diplomatic mm-hmm. powers. Like she lists them out in a way, so I know that she was referencing them. It's like a a really interesting way that they've built with RPGs to help bring, um, you know, maybe the next generation of content creators into the fold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything and, for anybody else? Well, I, I kind of wanted to riff off of that. It, it also helps define some things for them. Um, like defining the different types of Jedi's, like you said, like those classes, um, the the types of abilities, because then if if instead of just being a generic Jedi, like I'm a generic space wizard, mm-hmm. um, now you're you're adding these definitions, and then that actually, and it's I always find it interesting that by defining things, it opens up some possibilities. You think no, this is going to limit my possibilities. Um, but now you're okay. Now we have all these different classes. Okay. So what kind of stories unfold with these mm-hmm. and how do these interconnect? And then you can even look at the stories of how did these classes come to be? How did these focuses for these people come to be? How did they diverge? And then all of these stories for content creators can be told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I yeah. really like how role-playing games in general, but especially gaming in these established worlds, can can really get you thinking about the deeper portions of the worlds mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and really getting into the, the nitty-gritty details of some of those cool things like the the different Jedi classes and whatnot, or like different warp engine designs, or you know what have you. Um, it's it's pretty interesting how you can go from this collaborative storytelling experience and use that as fuel to create other really cool things that other people mm-hmm. can experience as well. Well, any anything else? I, I think we covered that pretty uh, succinctly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, th- thank you so much for sitting down with us. We we really appreciate this. Well, thank you so much for having it. This is a nice way to start to to start my day. <laughs> yeah, to to start my to start my Saturday. Uh-huh. <laughs> Victoria, can you remind everybody uh, where they can find you online? Uh, yeah, you can mostly find me on Twitter at Mimi Merlot, M-I-M-I Merlot, or even at the Broadswords on Twitter, because I do a lot of our our Twitterizing, our Twitterizing, our tweeting 
there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I am found Marie Claire. I am found at What the Force Show on Twitter or Marie C. Gould on Twitter. I have a lot of projects on the go, mm-hmm. including the Star Wars podcast, What the Force, Fangirls audio drama. I'm a player on the actual play uh, D&D uh, RPG game Tavern Tales. And I also am a co-host on Fall For It Drama, uh, which is a a discussion podcast about Asian dramas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you, Victoria, for joining us. And um, Claire, thank you for helping out uh, with being our special guest co-host for this episode. Um, It was really great having both of you here uh, for this discussion. So thank you both. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. And thanks to everyone else out there for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. Bye. Cheers. Character Evolution Cast, like Character Creation Cast, is a production of the One Shot Podcast Network and can be found online at www.charactercreationcast.com. Head to the website to get more information on our hosts and guests, or even to find some of our character sheet. Character Creation Cast can be found on Twitter at CreationCast. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter, and I can be found on Twitter at LordNeptune or online at LordNeptune.com. Our guest host for this episode, Marie Claire Gould, can be found on Twitter at Marie C. Gould or at WTForce Show. Music for this episode is used with a Creative Commons license or with permission from the podcast it originated from. Further information can be found within the show notes. This episode was edited by Ryan Bolter. Further information for the game systems discussed and today's guests can also be found in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and remember, we find that the best part of any role-playing game is character creation, so go out there and create some amazing people. We will see you next time. Read some show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Character Creation Cast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, visit oneshotpodcast.com where you will find other great shows like Warda. Warda is an original fantasy actual play podcast created by Ali Grauer and Drew Marzieski. It's one part Game of Thrones. Two parts Downton Abbey, served on the rocks with a twist of Agatha Christie. Discover magic, mystery, and more than a little socio-political commentary along the way. The city holds thousands of stories. What will yours be? In the universe of Starwall Odyssey, space is made out of the collective imaginations of all the thinking beings who live on various planets. These worlds are connected to each other through imagination. Common themes and ideas are strings between universes. And to get between them, people fly wooden ships that look like animals, which are powered by emotions. Also, people communicate with each other by contemplating orbs. The only way you can take pictures is getting stared at by a big psychic bug. And people have already declared victory in a war over the very concept of evil. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Starwall Odyssey follows the adventures of the hapless inhabitants of the Lucky Finn Tenement Building, who suddenly find that their apartment is actually a spaceship. 
and that they're lost in a sea of boundless imagination. It's an actual play starring me, James D'Amato, Mel D'Amato, Ali Grauer, and Drew Merzieski, as we playtest the No Kings system, which will hopefully one day be the Skyjacks role-playing system. It toes the line between weird and wonderful slice of life and high-flying space fantasy. You can sample the first five episodes by searching for Starwall Odyssey on your favorite podcast app, or get the whole thing by heading to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and signing up for $5 a month or more.